This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. And so we're in the middle of a series that we've called Better. Last week we began with the idea that God wants us to be better because perfect is not an option. There's only one who ever got to be perfect. His name is Jesus. Your name is not Jesus. Even if you're Spanish and you're in here and your name is Jesus, your name is not Jesus. Okay? All right? You are not perfect. No, no, nobody is perfect. All right? But Jesus is perfect, and the most loving thing that God could ever do was to send His perfect Son so that we could be measured against perfection. And we could figure out that we are not perfect and we need grace. What a beautiful and wonderful thing. And it's that one thing, at one side, God never takes away the standard because if He did, it would just enable us to sin. And on the other side, He's never too harsh that He always measures up against it and, and says, you're never going to get there. You're never, no, he, he fills in the gap with grace, which is so beautiful and loving. If you missed last week, it's just one of those, you just need to go listen to it, okay? But this series is kind of anchored in this thought. I want to spend a little bit of time with this as we get started today, that the message of Jesus, the gospel, doesn't necessarily guarantee you a better life, but it does guarantee that you'll get better at life. Let me break that down for you real quick. The message of Jesus doesn't necessarily guarantee you a better life. See, a lot of times the presentation of the gospel is actually that if you'll give your life to Jesus, all of a sudden all those problems and worries and cares that you have in life, they'll disappear and, and all of the circumstances in your life will become good, which is a bad and inaccurate presentation of the gospel. As a matter of fact, in the first century when the message of Jesus was first being heralded, it was not just opposite, it was so invertly opposite of that. When someone gave their life to Jesus and made a choice to follow Jesus, not only did they face difficulties, but they faced maybe the harshest persecution ever recorded in human history. They were executed in the same way Jesus was. They were crucified, beheaded, and they were often done in public spectacle. It became so commonplace that it was an official Roman pursuit to find Christians that they could kill. But at the same time, the message of Jesus exploded like wildfire throughout the known world. Why? It, if you're looking at it historically, the question has to be why? Because the message of Jesus doesn't necessarily guarantee you a better life, but it does make you better at life. It changes the way that we approach life. And in the first century, the Christians who were facing the harshest persecution ever recorded in human history, those Christians approached life differently. With grace and peace and generosity and love. And they did so in such a way that when people watched them, they said there has to be some 
something to that claim. That even though the circumstances of their life did not get better, their approach to their life got better. And because of that, the message of Jesus spread and it spread and it spread. And here we are today. So I want to ask you a question as we get started today. I want you to think about this for a moment. Is there an area in your life that you want to get better? Now, please don't criticize my grammar up front, all right? I understand that that is not grammatically correct, but I'm just trying to use the word from the series, okay? Just give me some credit for a moment, all right? Is there an area in your life that you would like to get better? Is there? Maybe today you'd like to be better with your finances. You'd like to stop running out of money at the end of the month. Take money out of savings. Used to have an emergency fund. Now it's just to buy groceries fund at the end of the month. Because you don't have a budget. You're not being faithful. You're not being disciplined. Do you want to be better with finances? Maybe today some of you would like a better body. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. Okay? I'm not going to ask you to raise hands on that one. Some of you would like a better body. You would like to be healthier. You'd like to lose a little weight. Maybe today you're here and You'd like better friendships. You'd say, honestly, you know, I've got people that are in my life, but I don't have anybody that's life-giving and cares about me. Somebody who's calling to check up on me and that person that's praying for me. I don't have that person. I don't have that person. I don't have that kind of relationship. Maybe you're here today and you just say, hey, if I swallow my pride and I'm really honest, I'd like to be a better parent. I'd like to be a better parent. I haven't been a good enough parent. Haven't been involved in my kid's life the way I need to be. Haven't been present. As a matter of fact, I've been selfish. Been all about myself. Tell my kids, go leave me alone. I ignore them while they're playing and I play on my phone. I'm tired at the end of the day, I understand that. But but maybe today, I'd like to be a better parent. Maybe you're here today and it's like a better relationship with my spouse. Like a better marriage. So I can tell you something about better. Better is always connected to a process. Better is always connected to a process. You ever notice in in Scripture that God has the capacity, the power to do things in moments, but He actually invites us into a process? That He would send out the the disciples and say, go, go pray over people. Anoint them with oil and then they'll be healed. There's a process. Not, 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 I mean, he's God. He could just go, they're all healed. But no, there's a process. And then they come back and they go, but, but there was this one we weren't able to, to heal. And he goes, oh, but, but that one, no, no, that, that one only comes out with, with prayer and fasting. There is a, a process. <laughs> Sometimes it's comical. Do you remember the time that Jesus healed the blind man? There's a several times, but there's one that he actually uses this unique process where he spits in the mud. Now, I've never been blind before, okay? But can you imagine being blind and somebody rubbing mud in your eyes from their spit? And then telling you to open your eyes and you're like, oh, well, I can see, but I can't really see. And then he does it again. There's... A process. We know this to be true because there are so many things in life that we want 
And we know that there's a process, right? Sometimes it's, I'd like to be healthier. Well, if you want to be healthier, there's a, a process that you go through. You start exercising, start eating a little bit better, and maybe you want a, a better marriage. And, and, and it's, hey, you know what? You, you really need to start devoting some more in time to, to each other intentionally. And you really need to kind of create the margin away from your kids so that you can be intimate with each other. Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's, it's you know, I want to be a better parent. And so it's, it's a, there are things that I want in life, but I put the things that I want in life to the side so that I can be the kind of parent that is present and makes a difference in my kid's life that leaves a legacy beyond this moment. There is a process. And here's the thing I've learned is that often, y'all listen to me, Better is connected to a process, and we want instant. We want instant. We want a silver bullet to fix the problem, which is why you can walk into health stores and there are shelves of diet pills that don't work, that literally do not work. But people buy them by the droves. Why? Because they want a silver bullet to fix a problem. They can only be fixed with the process. Anybody like coffee in here? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about like I just drink coffee. I mean love coffee, like coffee snob. Anybody coffee I'm, I'm a coffee snob. I'll just go ahead and confess ahead of time. I'm a coffee snob. I will not drink coffee from most places. Okay, if it's from a gas station, I'll pour it out if you bring it to me. Okay, I barely, even if I can't get my hands on coffee, McDonald's is barely good enough. Okay, just barely. It'll get me by. Don't you ever try to give me instant coffee. I'm, I'm serious. Don't try, don't try to even sneak it in on me. It won't work. I'll know. I'll be able to smell it and notice it. You know what the best kind of coffee that you can have is? French press. French press coffee. You don't know why they say French press is the best kind of coffee? It's a, it's a long process. You have to take the beans right then and grind them up. You have to grind them coarse enough that they don't go through the mesh wiring. And then you have to put the, put the water in at the right temperature. It has to be right off a boil, not boiling, right off the boil, but not too cold. You put it in there, and you have to leave it for about seven minutes. And then you press it down, and something happens that's magic in that moment. Something that you don't get in any of the other processes of making coffee. That somehow in that process, the oil that is contained in the bean floats to the very top which contains the most flavor for coffee. There is something about the process. And here's the thing about a process. You cannot cheat a process. If God designed something to be a process, you cannot cheat it. 
And so if you want healthier finances, a better relationship, or if you want to be a better mom or dad, if you want a better relationship with Jesus, and it is a process, you cannot cheat that process. And so I want to take you to Acts chapter 20 where the Apostle Paul exposes us to a process that leads to better. Acts 20 beginning in verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My own aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. In that, we see four steps that connect to the process of getting close to better. The first one is the Spirit's invitation. The Spirit's invitation begins by saying, and now, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Now, compelled by the Spirit. That phrase, compelled by the Spirit, to me is interesting. In the Greek, it's actually deo phonuma, all right? Deo, that, that phrase, literally translated, means to be bound or wrapped to. And the word pneuma is translated into spirit, also can be translated into breath or breeze. I, I love the imagery because it's an image that um, I think if they would have had these things around when I was a kid, it would have applied to me when I was a child. See, I was uh, that kid who could not help but be a problem, okay? My grandmother is in the audience today. I just need to apologize ahead of time, okay? Okay. All right, there, I, 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 if I visited your house and you're in here, I probably broke something when I was a kid, okay? It's just who I was. I couldn't help it, all right? I was active, right? We, we have terms today for those kids, ADHD, right? Right? We put them on medicine. And then parents do things with them now that I'm pretty sure my mom would have done with me. They put leashes on their kids, Right? For some reason today, we make it look a little bit more humane because we make it look like a backpack, right? <laughs> it's a backpack that, that a little two-year-old is. Two-year-olds don't need a backpack. Right? What are you carrying in that backpack? No, it's not a backpack. It's a leash. And your parents have you on a leash because if you were like me, me well, I would run away from my mom for no reason. Just run. Right? Just to have fun. I don't know. I guess it was fun to watch her panic because you know there's a level of panic that you reach when you have lost your kids in a shopping mall that is just never present in other moments. That is the image that we see that the Apostle Paul says that I, I am wrapped up and bound to the will of the Holy Spirit. I am wrapped up and bound to the will of the Holy Spirit. And I know that God has called me to go into Jerusalem about two and a half years ago. I felt the Lord begin to speak to me personally. I wasn't taking very good care of myself. And he used a verse out of Isaiah to challenge me. In that verse, the Bible says that they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and will not faint. And I remember telling the Lord specifically, God, 
I'm a fat kid, and fat kids don't like to run. I don't like to run. I don't even like going to the gym. All right? I like leaving the gym a whole lot. I hate walking in there. I hate what I do when I'm in the gym. I do not even like anything associated with what you are asking me to do. And then, you know how God just kind of has a way of convincing you that you need to do what he's telling you? He, and I kept saying, no, God, I don't want to run. No, God, I don't want to work out. No, God, I don't want to be healthy. All right, I just want to eat whatever I want to eat. And I half-heartedly went to the gym a couple times a week. And I half-heartedly occasionally would try. And then in January, or February of 2016, I was in an auto accident. I was hit in the, the rear by a, um, a 70-year-old woman who was texting on her flip phone. Okay? Just for humanity's sake, if you have a 70-year-old grandma and she has a flip phone, take it away from her, please. All right? Just take it away. Don't apologize or anything. Just hide it. All right? Go buy her another phone. And I, for the first time in my life, had a very serious concussion. The, the, they were probably the worst sermons I've ever preached because <laughs> I literally couldn't remember anything. It was the first time I've ever faced that sort of thing in my life. And I started to see, all right, health is one of those things that we have to be a pretty good steward over or it can get taken away pretty quickly. And so I started to make some active decisions to respond to the invitation that God had given me. But there's something that happens after you respond to the invitation. It's really number two in your notes that there is a certain uncertainty. <laughs> there is a certain uncertainty. I can remember getting into the serious portion. I, you know, I set a goal of I wanted to weigh so much when I turned 40, and many of you have seen that story on, online. I'm not going to try to dive into that because it's not the purpose of. Uh, this message and, and, and made this goal. And, and then I started doing exactly what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do. I was being obedient. And I started to gain weight. I started to gain weight. Literally, it went the opposite direction. Some of y'all have been there before. You prayed, God, I want to be, be better a husband, and he goes, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be kind to your wife. I want you to be gentle. I want you to give grace. I want you to honor her. I want you to encourage her. And you go home, and you, you do that for her. And you're like, I try. All right. And then you go to bed that night, and you're like, I did it. I did it. Made it through. I did it. <laughs> and the next day, you work real hard, and you do it. But at the end of the next day, all those things that you were hoping that would happen have not yet happened. And the next morning, you wake up, and you're like, God, you're a liar. You are a liar doesn't work. It doesn't work, God. Because when we step into a process, there's a certain uncertainty. We see that actually in the words of Paul as he says, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. See, a lot of times when we think of the future, we want God to show us the details, but we can't handle the details. If God were to show you everything that you'd have to go through to get you to where he wants you to be, you'd step back and go, there's no way, God. I don't want to do it. 
Think about this with me. Psalm 119 verses 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Y'all have heard that before. If you grew up in church, you've heard that. Do you realize that it doesn't say that your word is a spotlight for my future? God, your, your direction is enough for me to see the next step. The next step. I can see the next step, but often I can't see beyond it. And there's some of you that have been resisting taking the next step because you can't see beyond it. You want to see the future. You want to see how it's all going to work out. But you know for sure that God said do this, but you kept saying, God, but if I do that, how am I, what's going to happen after that? So let's just think about the way that we plan. You know, when we plan, we want to plan for the future with certainty, don't we? We want guarantees. We go to financial advisors. We say, if I put this much money in, what kind of return on my investment am I going to get? What, if I put in this 401k or if I put into this retirement plan, am I going to have enough money at the end of all things? Am I going to have enough money to live on? We like plans that have certainty and guarantees. But this process that God's going to invite you into requires faith. And here's the thing about faith. Faith takes the next step and it trusts God with the future. Faith takes the next step and it trusts God with the future. Now, I'm going to say something right now that if you're a believer and you're in here, it's probably going to hurt you a little bit, okay? And I just want you to let it hurt. I want you to let it sting, and I want you to feel it deeply because there's some of us that just need to hear this truth, and we need to let it kind of hit us where it needs to hit us. And it's that if you're not living with a little uncertainty, you're not living by faith. If you're not living with a little uncertainty, you're not living by faith. And you know what's interesting? You know the only thing that we can do to please God is have faith. Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know the only thing that we can do to be righteous in His eyes? It's to live by faith. The Bible says the righteous will live by faith. And if you're not living with a little uncertainty, you're not living by faith. So it begins with the Spirit's invitation, and then we step into a certain uncertainty. And then invariably, we are going to find out number three, that there is a predictable resistance. There is a predictable resistance. The Apostle Paul continued on saying, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Prison and hardships are facing me. There's some things that are coming up that aren't going to be very fun. Which reminds me, 
of this truth. If you're not ready to face opposition for following Jesus, you're not ready to be used by God. And I don't make that statement without having been somebody that's walked through that. I've never shared this story comprehensively before. But I thought it would be appropriate. Because for me in ministry, it has never been easy. Ever. As a matter of fact, when I first told my parents that I was going to leave a state school and go to a private Christian college where I could probably learn and grow and potentially go into the ministry, they told me their response to me was, if you do that, we won't pay for you to go to school. You only want to do that because your friends want to do that. Of course, God changed their mind. It was awesome. We've told that story before. I can remember leaders at my church that I grew up at when I told them that I felt like God is calling me to go into the ministry, them looking at me and saying, you really think you can do that? You really think you? I can remember the first pastor that I worked for sitting in his office talking about what I thought my future might look like. And he told me, Kevin, you know, I think you might be able to work with students, but I'm pretty sure you could never be a pastor. And that same pastor found out that I could sing. He asked me to help every once in a while by singing some songs in in our church, and so I would sing, uh, you know, worship songs in a church that was very traditional and did a lot of hymns. we, We had a lady in our church that was oversaved. I don't know if you know anybody that's oversaved, right? Over oversaved people, you you probably don't know that you're oversaved, but your friends and family do. Please don't point. Please don't point at them right now. Okay? Oversaved people, y'all are the people that like when the Panthers are down by like twenty one points, there's thirty seconds left to go in the game, and there's a kickoff and they're about to get the ball. You're on your knees. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that your glory will be manifest for the for the Panthers, Lord, that the whole world would see your glory as, a, as they come back, God. That's you're oversaved right there. You may have oversaved friends that you work with where you actually, you come in, you've lost your keys, you don't know where they are. You come in, you're looking for your keys. And say, hey, I'm, I've lost my keys. Do you know where my keys are? And they look at you and they say, you know what keys you need to be looking for? Are the keys to the kingdom of God. <laughs> no, that's not the kind of car I drive. I'm looking for... <laughs> Right? So some, some of y'all don't even know you're oversaved, so let me just give you a quick test uh, to help you realize if you are oversaved. If you don't use a computer because it has a cursor, you might be oversaved. Okay? All right? If you've ever been at a friend's house and rebuked their vacuum because it was a dirt devil, all right, you might be oversaved. This lady was oversaved. And I can remember putting my guitar down after singing a song and leading our church and the service was over. 
I was standing at the very front. And she walked up and she looked at me. And she was a younger woman. She wasn't older. And she looked at me and she said, I hope you realize that you are not a worship leader. Let, let me just tell you something. If you're a part of our church and you ever breathe anything like that to a young leader in our church, there is another church in town that would be glad to have you because you're not welcome here anymore. I can remember the first time I told my wife, hey, I think we, God's called us to plant a church in Albemarle. And she goes, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. And I sat down with my pastors and my mentors, and for various reasons, I said, hey, I think God wants us to plant a life-giving church in a smaller town. And they kept saying, I don't think that'll work. I don't think that'll work. I don't think people will come to it. Don't name it Vortex. People won't know what that means. It'll sound weird. All this other things. Even down to the, the ark, which we're a part of, and we went through our assessment process and all of my friends were getting calls and phone calls and posting the day after we had our assessment that they were approved. It took them two months to approve me. Two months of me waiting. And I learned this. That God uses resistance to refine our resolve. God uses resistance to refine our resolve. I can remember being about six months into this thing, sitting across from the table from a leader who was one of the most important leaders we had in our church at the time. And we had a difficult conversation. And he made this comment. He goes, if you keep asking stuff like this, I might as well just get up and leave. And I looked at him and I said this. If it takes going back to just one person and it just being me to do what God's called us to do, I'm willing to do that. Because I will not compromise. I learned that. Not when things were going good, but through resistance. See, resistance isn't always a sign that you're out of God's will. As a matter of fact, resistance might be a sign that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. I mean, when should the enemy attack? When you're running, running away or when you're running to? Right? And the thing about resistance is resistance is a necessary part of the process. You're going to face resistance if you want to get healthy financially. You're going to face resistance if you want to get healthy in your marriage. I can tell you this from experience. If you make a decision that you want to get healthy physically, you're going to face resistance. And resistance is a necessary part of the process in becoming healthier. It's needed. I used to think that the guys with the big muscles, you know, those guys, I used to think that they were never sore, right? Until one day I was working out with the guy. He's huge. He's big and massive. He used to do bodybuilding competitions. And I said, man, my goal is just to get one day where I'm like you and I'm not sore at all. He said, what do you mean? I've, I've, been, I've been sore for 30 years. And I learned over the last year and a half that if you're going to be healthy in any area, you've got to fall in love with the battle to be healthy. 
people who are healthy physically love waking up and feeling a little bit sore. Like, oh, yeah, I did something. I did something. It affected my body. I got a little bit better because of that. See, the process might be painful, but quitting doesn't speed it up. It might be painful. It might hurt. But quitting is not going to speed up the process. As a matter of fact, the struggle that you are facing today is developing the strength you need for tomorrow. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear that today. The struggle that you are facing today is developing the strength that you need for tomorrow. And the Apostle Paul, when he writes of returning to Jerusalem, facing the Things that seemed unknown. He knew what he was talking about because he had been through the resistance. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians 11 where he's kind of been challenged by other leaders who are leading the church a little bit more selfishly. And so he says, are they servants of Christ? Now I'm out of my mind for talking like this. Basically what he's saying is I'd never normally say this, but because they started this, I'm going to finish it and watch how he finishes it. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again five times. I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day at open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, and in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked and besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Because he knew that the resistance that he had faced was producing in him a strength that would become uncommon. So much so that in the next chapter he would say this as God is speaking to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, the fourth thing that happens in the process is we gain an uncommon confidence. We gain an uncommon confidence. 
Look at what he said. He said in Acts 20, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know this about the Apostle Paul, that he did not have a long-range plan? There was no five-year plan. There was no 10-year plan, no 20-year plan. His plan was simple. God speaks, I follow. Step by step. By step, by step. You see, a process always works step by step. You can't cheat the process. You can't skip steps. It works step by step by step. And we need to learn to trust the process. Think about the life of the Apostle Paul. What did he accomplish by simply following that step-by-step process. He accepted an invitation on a road to Damascus where there was a church meeting of Christians. He was on his way to kill them. And Jesus intersected his life and gave him an invitation. He received the invitation. Then he began to travel and start churches and he started some of the most influential churches in the new world around the Mediterranean Rim. Churches that would influence hundreds of thousands of people. By volume, he wrote half of the New Testament and influenced over half of the other half. He is outside of Jesus Christ Himself. The most important figure that emerged in the New Testament church. Why? Because He was willing to go step by step by step and trust the process. Philippians 1 has this reminder if you're Somebody that I text frequently every once in a while. I text my friends as first just because I, I love them and it reminds me of them. And, and I, I'm probably going to keep doing it. And y'all get bored with it. That's okay. But it just I don't get bored with it because it does remind me of you. And so it says this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day into now. Being confident of this, being confident of this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. That he who began that good work will carry it on. It is a process and I am praying that you will allow Him to continue to carry it on. So what do you want to be better in your life today? Do you want better relationships, better finances? Do you want a better family? Maybe you're here today and you want a better relationship with Jesus. If you want better, trust the process. Trust the process. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.